on, guys? Welcome back to the MLS Now podcast. This is Gavin here with Henry, our New York Red Bulls uh, correspondent. That's the word I'm thinking of. Uh, been a bit, pretty busy day for me, so just 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 live with me here. Work with me here, Henry, um, as I try and catch my words together. I'm going to let you speak. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is such a pleasure to be on here talking with people who love MLS. We need more of this. So thank you so much for having me here. Yes, of course. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Red Bulls recently. I think they're kind of flying under the radar. You know, everyone's talking about New York Red Bulls. And of course, down here in Orlando, uh, talking about Orlando um, and people talking about Miami and Columbus, of course. Uh, But honestly, you guys have been... (laughs) You guys have been making a lot of moves here um, here this offseason. So do you want to just go over the basics, go over the preliminary, just every move you've made? Yeah, and I think we were talking about this before the interview started, but I'd love to go over it again. I mean, Red Bulls have never been one of the uh, flashier clubs in MLS with the most media attention, I think. Many clubs have been eclipsed by the rise of Atlanta and LAFC. So, you know, kind of coinciding with that time and coinciding with the Jesse Marsh era, who probably was our best coach of all time as we won a supporter shield and came close to winning MLS Cup under him. uh, Yeah, we really focused on developing our academy. We had Tyler Adams, probably our best export ever. We had um, Aaron Long, who still plays with us, and he's been a very good product. And we, you know, our academy... And I live close to it. I mean, I know people who have been through the academy. It's a very impressive youth system. And there's a straight integration into the team, which has been very positive. Um, as of late, I think our philosophy's changed. We've brought in Kevin Thelwell, who's the head of sport from Wolverhampton Wanderers in England. And he's promised a different approach. Um, alongside with him is Gerard Struber, who uh, comes in from Barnsley. And he's the first foreign manager we've had since Hans Bach, since 2013. So it's going to be a, a different approach to see how that goes. And already you see the difference. You see Red Bulls signing tons of players. I mean, we've signed Englishmen, probably from the British... Uh, connection between heads of sports drew yearwood was a import last year who's 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 good and um we also brought along tom edwards who will start off this season he's a very accomplished right back has played in the premier league has started in the championship so we're very looking forward to seeing how that goes but yeah i mean players from all over the world many of whom who have been plucked from extremely obscure places but show promise you have fabio a brazilian striker you have a bunch of uh new center midfielders from yuba diara and wickelman carmona just Players that I don't know what to expect, but I'm really hoping for the best for. So it's it's been turbulent. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you which way it's going to go because with the Red Bulls, no one really knows. But um, I'm looking forward to having something out of the ordinary this season. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start from the back here. Um, David Jensen having a decent season for you guys last year. Were you uh, happy with the, with the signing and not only happy with the signing, but also happy with um, his play? Obviously, it's kind of hard to, to replace um Gosh, who was your guys' last goalkeeper? We went we to Miami. Robles. Robles, for Robles that's his name. That's years. right. Yeah. Uh, how would you say he did trying to replace his impact on your guys' team? Still Atlanta with the chance here, pounding on the door in the final seconds. Red Bulls trying to hold on for a victory. Lorenowitz crossing it from deep. John up oh, to get it. Jensen made the save. Come on. 
Well, um, he came in last season as the number one. Uh, he started the first two games before the whole COVID break that kind of shook everything up. And uh, he was very positive in those first two games against Cincinnati and Real Salt Lake. He um, made some good saves. Uh, we didn't lose either of those games. Uh, he actually made a very incredible save in the opening game of MLS's back against Atlanta and even set up the first goal for Florian Below. That was his best performance all year. After the MLS's back tournament, he actually didn't really start too many games. I, I'm, I'm losing the number on how many games the Red Bulls played in total last season. I, it, was, it obviously wasn't all the full 34, probably 28. But out of those 28 games, he only played 11 of them. Our real starter last year was Ryan Mera, who um, was famous for being the backup to Robles for all those years. And the, the thing about Luis Robles was he never missed a minute from 2012 to 2018. So Mera never got any playing time, really, apart from a one-game loan to New York City FC. So having him kind of thrown in there after Jensen's form sort of middled and sort of got, uh, not dubious, but he didn't prove to be the best stop, shot stopper. Um, he was he was a solid player, but there was a lot of goalkeeper wars. Uh, Ryan Mara was a better shot stopper, not as good of a distributor as Jensen was. But um, there was overall a feeling of uh, uncertainty as to who would step into the gigantic shoes that Robles had left. Um, I mean, we signed Carlos Coronel, a Brazilian goalkeeper, who looks very experienced and looks like a good signing on loan from Salzburg. So that'll be interesting to see how he shakes that up. But it, the goalkeeper starting spot is very much up for grabs right now. I was about to ask, looking at next season, what what is the goalkeeper? And, and to be honest, that shows you just how much I've paid attention to the New York Red Bulls goalkeeper situation that I thought Jensen was your starting goalkeeper last year. No. <laughs> I probably don't know more than you on this. Uh, last season, we all thought that Mera would be the number one to go because, you know, it was like he impressed when he finally got to play a bit in 2018 and 2019, and we thought he would jump straight in. But then David Jensen kind of surprised everybody by starting, and we were like, wow, this is different. Uh, I mean, Chris Armas was very unpredictable in the starting 11. Um, there were games where he would play one eleven for one game, and then he'd play 11 different players for the next. So... Um, I mean, I'm hoping for some more stability under Struber. I'm hoping that one of Coronel, uh, Jensen, and Mera actually grabs the job and takes it. But um, there's a very real possibility that this could be a very open situation. We just don't know who's going to be the consistent starter there. All righty. So next up is a big topic of discussion I'm sure that you've had with some other New York Red Bulls fans. Yeah. Tim Parker leaving the season after a long spell with you guys. What are your thoughts on him leaving to Houston? Was it the right move? Was it the right time for the move? What, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, I've been a big believer in the idea that I think Arsene Wenger for Arsenal had this same philosophy, too, that you should sell players right when you notice a small deterioration um, and not too late, you know, when they're already not the player they used to be. I think that philosophy kind of applied here to Tim Parker. Um, Parker came in in 2018 as a trade for Felipe, who was kind of a fan favorite center midfielder. Um, and Parker really impressed. 2018, he was brilliant. He played for the U.S. men, actually, against France. He left the Red Bulls to go fly over there and play them before the World Cup. So it was, it was a big moment for him, and he had a lot of growth on the Red Bulls. Some would argue he was one of the best defenders in MLS that year. 2019, he was good. He kind of consolidated his partnership with Aaron Long. This year, he had moments. He also had lapses where he wasn't being selected. I think there were a couple injury knocks. Uh, there, he just wasn't as consistent as before. So I think from a management perspective, 
uh, offloading him, and we've replaced him with Andres Reyes, who's uh, who had a very good season last season for Inter Miami, and I, who I'm very com- comfortable with. I don't think it's a huge improvement, but I don't think it's a step down either. I think that uh, Reyes is younger. I think that selling Parker to Houston Dynamo is not going to be the end of the world for the Red Bulls defense, and I'm it's m- sort of a non-issue for me. I'm not too worried. Are you at all worried about uh, Aaron Long? What has his situation been like since that rumored bid a couple years ago from, I believe, West Ham? He ha- he never really hit the heights of that, that past season, has he? Um, what are your thoughts of him going into this next season? Do you think he can, you know, he's only 28. Do you think he can hit those heights again? Yeah, well, um, Long did have that. It was with South. I think it was Southampton actually. Mm, but, okay. Um, he, he had a very uh, interesting transfer saga with him, with with them. And actually, just a couple months ago, there were rumors that Liverpool wanted to place a bid in for him, and that was that got all of us excited. I mean, he's our. I would argue he's our best player, but I wouldn't refuse to see one of our players play in the Premier League for Liverpool, nonetheless. So that was exciting. Um, but Long's form, I think that you know he was the MLS Defender of the Year in 2018. He's been absolutely immaculate for us. And last year was a really weird year for everybody. And Long actually didn't play badly. He got a last-minute winner against New England Revolution. He continued being an aerial threat, something that we've relied on for goals, uh, often late winners. So, um, And his defending hasn't deteriorated either. He still plays for the U.S. men's national team. If you look at the last major tournament, the Gold Cup, he scored against Trinidad, uh, two goals, actually. So he, if, if he remains a fixture in the U.S. men's team, then I see no reason to uh, doubt his trajectory for us. Um, I mean, who knows what could happen? A lot could uh, occur for Aaron Long. Maybe we'll see a dip in form. But there wasn't really anything tangible for me to say that I'm slightly worried about his prospects. I hope he continues being uh, the great defender he has being, but we're, again, pretty unpredictable, so who knows? All righty. So, obviously, you touched on Tom Edwards, the right back who played for Stoke. And um, did you touch on Gutman at all? Um, Gutman. Oh, maybe it's G- Gutman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The the left back from, from know, Atlanta. Yeah, but. yeah um, he should be interesting because he's he's played in the U.S. Uh, youth setup for a while. And he actually played for Celtic. Uh, didn't play much for them. But to get that recognition was good. Now, he moved, I think, 2019, he moved to Cincinnati uh, to play for them on loan. And he played the last two seasons with Cincinnati. And he was actually consistent. He wasn't anything special because I think it was very hard for anyone on that Cincinnati team uh, to shine. (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) But it was kind of like the best you can get, uh, in a sense. And at the start of last season, we had one left back, and it was Patrick Segrist, someone who had never played a professional game. And he was, I mean, I love Patrick Segrist. He wore the number seven shirt. He was a wingback. He just attacked all the time. Uh, He wasn't that good, but um, I think we shored that up by getting Jerome Pendant, who uh, plays, uh, who played for uh, the second French division, and he kind of became the starter. But now that you have Andrew Gutman, a U.S. youth player in the past, someone who's more established in in the MLS, so I'm not um, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, it, it should be interesting. You look at players who have come from Europe who have had really high expectations. I think looking at New York City FC, uh, you know Gideon Zalalem, who was at one point Arsenal's best young prospect and an American center midfielder who spent years at Arsenal on loan spells and then uh, went to New York City and has 
done nothing notable. And I hope that uh, Gutman is not like that. I think that um, he has more composure, and I think that he has the tools to succeed in this league, having played in it for a year prior. But um, yeah, it's he's very he's very much an uncertain prospect. Alrighty, well let's step away from the defensive side of things and let's talk about the big name headed out the door. Kaku. Uh, David loves this player and loves to talk about this player and his impact on MLS. Um, What are your thoughts on him leaving? Uh, Are you frustrated with how the situation was handled? Are you frustrated with how he reacted to to contract talks and all that? Go over that situation with me and for our listeners. The cross cleared, not out. Kaku thinking about it. Now the shot. What a goal from Kaku. One nothing Red Bulls. Yeah, so to give some people some context, Kaku came in in 2018. We needed a playmaker, and he was he was very good. And um, it became clear, I think, maybe 14 months ago, before last season, that he wanted to end his time in MLS. I think he felt like he reached the next level. He was ready to go to Europe, um, take the next step. But he was kind of kept in the Red Bull system. The reasons are still unclear. It, it was one of those dramas that just like peaks and then just disappears kind of. I think there was a mutual agreement that he would stay. Um, but after last season, last season he was not, he did not have the most inspiring time. He only scored twice. Uh, there were games where he went missing. Uh, there, were, there were games where he was very good, yes. But um, I think when you saw him playing uh, in the Saudi Arabian League a couple months ago, and the crazy thing was, he hadn't even officially terminated his contract with the Red Bulls. It was just, I woke up one day and I saw that he was playing for Saudi Arabia and I just was completely shook because I was, uh, I was like, what? And um, it was, it was a messy situation. Red Bulls had not officially ended the contract with Kaku. Kaku had pointed to some clause in it that allowed him to play abroad for Saudi Arabia, for the team in the Saudi Arabian league. And um, Red Bulls put out a press statement saying, oh, he's still our player. And this was like at the same time, he was literally lining up for a league match in another team. So it was kind of an embarrassing situation for the New York Red Bulls, you know, like trying to like cling on to this player who had obviously left and obviously did not want to be there. And I'm glad we're past that because it was not our finest moment. But if Kaku wanted to leave, his heart was not in it in 2020. It was it was very clear. Um, he was very creative in 2018 and 2019. He scored a lot of game winners. He fit, he fit with a team. And on his day, he was a world-class player when it comes to MLS. Like one of, just one of the top five playmakers in the league. But it's just he was on a downward spiral. He didn't want to be there. So I'm not too upset about it I, I would have liked for him to stay i would have liked for him to continue what we saw in 2018 and 2019 with him but it's not the end of the world and maybe we'll get to talking about his replacement who i'm even more excited about yes that's exactly where i was going henry uh i was gonna say out with the old in with the new just how big of an impact are you expecting his replacement to have um obviously so so young talking about the Caden clark here um how 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 much how big are his expectations i should say 17 years old i mean you can't be placing the whole team on his shoulders right now um and he does have talent around him to help out but i mean man what a player what an introduction to the league last season what are your guys's expectations for the youngster stayed out of it hayden clark from distance I think really the sky is for Caden Clark. Um, 
you look how he came into the team. He was a complete unknown. He had played for the New York Red Bulls too. He he didn't even really do that. I mean, he probably did fine, but he he wasn't like one of the the players who was like, oh my gosh, we got to get this player on the first team. It was just we needed rotation. We needed a central attacking midfielder. We played Caden Clark. He's young, 17 years old. He was probably younger at the time of last season. And he scored the game winner against Atlanta United in his first game. A beautiful volley from outside the box. Uh, a game later against Toronto FC. Uh, you know, Toronto were competing for the supporter shield at the time. They were the best team in the league at that moment. And Caden Clark, the game ended 1-1 because Clark scored from 30 yards out. Top corner, probably the best goal, the best moment of last season. And it was just like, wow, this player has a really bright future ahead of him. And immediately after that goal... Juventus and RB Leipzig have already put in offers. They've already held in talks. Uh, I, uh, the consensus is it'll probably go to Leipzig, but uh, there's no way he'll be uh, lining up for the Red Bulls in 2022. I mean, this is it's kind of like enjoy him while we can, because 2021, he we really have a chance to make him the focal point of our team. He was just brilliant last year now that he's more established and settled and doesn't have to deal with playing in a pandemic, which is obviously not an ideal experience for a first-time player in MLS. But... Um, yeah, so while we have him, he'll be a very good player to link up to Royer up top and to whoever's starting out in the center forward position, whether that be Fabio or White or Barlow. I'm sure we'll talk about them later. But um, And also bring the play from the various defensive midfielders we have and transition it because he's very good at that. But he's honestly one of those players who has it all. He has a low center of gravity. He can turn easily. He can. has very good vision. So... Um, yeah, he'll, he won't be around for long. I think one of the big challenges the Red Bulls will have to face is we have to start pre-planning for life without him because he's going to be 18 years old next season, probably off in Europe. So we're gonna, going to have to have a backup plan. But this year with Caden Clark, we have to make sure that we build the right team around him. And I'm I, he's really young, and I know it's a, a really uh, pressureful situation putting all that on your all, all that on someone who's not even 18 yet. But he has it all, and I cannot speak highly enough about him. So, are you? Is, is he like first first name on the team sheet? Like he needs to start every game, or do you do you think there will ever be like a situation where you guys are trying to rest him, and and at that point, fans are like, I know he needs a rest, but also he's our best player. Please don't, please play him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know. You look at the schedule. There's like games every midweek because it's so condensed i'm sure red bulls have been very good at rotation um uh, just like it's impossible to predict the starting 11 for a red bulls match like sometimes i think i've got it and it's like wow that is not what i expected (laughs) um, uh kaden clark i'm sure will uh, i don't know what jared strubar's approach will be maybe he'll aim for some more consistency but uh he just fills the void of the number 10 we need and i think in past years you look at kaku who the team was built around him. You look at Sasha Question, who the team was built around before Kaku. Before that, you had Thierry Henry, all these playmakers who have been important to the Red Bull style and the Red Bull's culture. So I would expect him, if I was a Red Bull manager, he doesn't have seniority, but I would put him right on the team sheet. I, I don't see any reason, until, unless we see some unexpected dip in form, uh, to take him out of that coveted spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's move on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's move on to the deeper central midfield. You guys brought in Yuba Diara to partner with Drew Yearwood. Is is Diara, I mean, obviously you can't tell right now, barely seen him play, but is he looking like a, a starter here? Or is he looking like a rotation option? What, what are your thoughts on him? My initial uh, tendency is to go with 
kind of like the 12th name on the team sheet, someone who's not going to be in the opening day starting 11, but, but is very much going to be, you know, in the mix of things. Uh, um, it, it should be interesting to see because we have a lot of players at that position. Uh, Florian Velo, who's normally played on the wing, uh, chances are we won't have, we won't be doing a system with wingers this season because Warrior is probably going to slot up and play a front two with whoever else is going to be that striker. Um, so, We'll see how well Florian Velo, who's been a winger, who's showed potential, who's struggled with injury problems, but we're hoping has consistency now. We'll see how well he fits in. If he doesn't fit in, then I think that spot is Diara's. Um, I, I mean, I did research before this. I don't know that much about Diara, honestly. He, um, mm-hmm. He's very young. He uh, came from all, RB Salzburg, which is kind of the benefit of having that partner in Europe. But... Um, no, I mean, he's had, like, I think three or four loan spells. He played in the Bundesliga second division. Uh, he didn't have make the most appearances. He, I don't think he's ever been a starter at any of the teams he's played at. But um, what better chance here in, the, in MLS to give him a role that, you know, other European teams couldn't provide for him. So I think that he should be interesting. I've heard he's kind of like a shuttler, running fast, box-to-box midfielder, can defend, can play two ways. And we've, need that. we've needed that ever since Dax McCarty left in 2017. So, um, I mean, Red Bull's bringing a lot of these lone players from Europe. I mean, there are just so many names who, it's, who are instantly forgettable, but who have come in with high expectations from Europe, who just haven't lived up, lived up to it. And I think Diara could end up being one of those, but I'd love to be proven wrong. I hope that the team carves out a role for him. Yeah. All right. My next question here is going into the striker position. Yeah. Brian White, someone who had a really good 2019. I remember seeing uh, one of his first one of his first appearances where he came on and really wowed everybody. Um, got a got a goal or two, I believe. And uh, everyone was thinking, oh, you know, this youngster, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be the replacement for BWP. And you know, he had a pretty good season that year. Obviously, last year, again, weird year for New York Red Bulls and weird year for everybody, but did not do as well as you might have expected. And then, of course, to see BWP head over to LAFC and, you know, be one of the um, uh, top goal scorers of the league in terms of minutes played per goal uh, and, and per goal contribution. So how frustrating was that? And what are your expectations? What are you thinking about Brian White? Is he maybe just not the guy for the job do you guys maybe need to look for a for a different striker yeah so i mean to start it off just to talk about the hole that happened after bradley wright phillips bwp is in my opinion our greatest player of all time he's scored i think 108 goals for the red bulls and it, it became like i mean he's just was so instrumental it became kind of like like a tradition for me every week i'd go to school i'd do work i'd every Saturday night, then I would watch Red Phillips score two goals and bring us to another big win. And if there's anything we learned over the course of last season, it's that nobody will ever be able to replace uh, him. And we let go of him way too early. You look at how well he did for LAFC last year. It was just amazing. And we judged him way too harshly based off a bad 2019 season because of injuries. Um, Yeah, and White was very good in 2019. I thought in 2019 when Wright Phillips was injured all the time that brian white was the real deal that he was the replacement to come in um and he did well he scored nine goals uh 2020 was different for him but it wasn't his fault that uh in 2020 he regressed he only scored five goals he played half the games uh the reason why he had a very different season uh, last year than two years ago was because of tom barlow tom barlow's our other striker uh he 
is often the scorn of many Red Bulls fans. Uh, we're not the biggest admirers of him, to put it lightly. He's had good moments. He scored the winner against Atlanta in his debut. So, I mean, like that was a very promising start. And he's not a player. That he's, is a we, great thing to do. <laughs> Score Atlanta. a winner against Atlanta. Any anyone who uh, inflicts damage on Atlanta will start off well. But with Tom Barlow, it didn't proceed the way we expected him to. He there were moments last year when it was just like people were joking like Tom Barlow uh, like couldn't score if he was three feet out. Um, it was just that depressing to see all those chances missed by him up top. But the problem was he kept playing. Chris Armas was a huge fan of Tom Barlow and the interim manager Bradley Carnell, who came after Chris Armas, loved him too. So Brian White needed to be playing and I believe that if he had been the week in week out striker he would have you know maybe potentially become one of the top goal scorers in the league but he just didn't get that chance because every every game last season we lined up with only one up top and it was Tom Barlow who provided very little to nothing um and maybe there was something in training I didn't see I mean I'm sure I don't doubt the judgment of the coaches we had last season, but it was disappointing as a Brian White admirer, someone who I believed had a lot of potential to see him only play the last 20 minutes of games, not being able to make an impact that he wanted. So my big wish this year is that Brian White is the number nine. And it's been just very demoralizing when we've, it's it's been very dogmatic in terms of Tom Barlow up top. So I hope that White wins that war, but let's, um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. It is always interesting to see these players that are kind of coaches players, you know, every yeah. coach seems to pick them. Every, every coach seems to like them and all the fans are just like, what, what are these coaches seeing that I'm not? Because yeah, maybe he works hard. Yeah. Maybe he, he, he does, does what the coach yeah. wants to do, but he's no threat for us in attack. Like, well, come on now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very interesting that. Certainly. And um, I mean, I think some of the problems could be fixed with Fabio, who uh, is a very interesting signing. Um, you know, big Brazilian number nine. He's six foot four. He played in the Brazilian second or third division. I think he won promotion. He like bounced around between them. And then he played in Japan uh, for like 19 games, scoring five goals. In the- so uh, that's that's been our biggest import up top, our biggest transfer uh, made in the past few months. So it'll be interesting to see how Fabio gets along. Uh, I think there's, I mean, ever since Atlanta succeeded so well with their South American acquisition, acquisitions of years ago, a lot of MLS teams have been playing copycat, trying to find, you know, the next Joseph Martinez in Brazil somewhere and Paraguay somewhere. And I think Fabio's going to be like that. What you see often is there, there's been a lot of studies in soccer about this, that players from certain nationalities get overvalued. We paid a lot to get Fabio on loan and he's Brazilian. I mean, uh, there's a bigger market for Brazilian players in MLS than there has ever been before. But uh, it should be interesting to see how Fabio, whether Fabio, we're not even talking about White or Barlow in a year's time because he's just solidified the number nine job all by himself. But if uh, someone, as someone who knows the Red Bulls and someone who is uh, pessimistic on what to expect, I think the number nine job is going to be like the goalkeeper job. Three uh, somewhat mediocre prospects uh, kind of rotating in and out every week. So here's a question for you. Each year I watch New York Red Bulls, um, there's always one player that comes out of the blue to just be not maybe a star, but just just an important player for you guys. So last year, Kyle Duncan, you know, who was expecting him to just come out and be that good? Obviously, he had a great start to the season, those first two games, and he was probably one of the, the better right backs in the league for the rest of the season. The year before, you could argue it was Brian White. 
Uh, the year before, I'm, I'm pulling up your roster that year, but I seem to remember somebody that year as well. Um, I mean, that was like Tyler Adams year. Uh, yeah. So, so who would you say could be that player this year coming out of your academy? Obviously, you can't pick um, Caden Clark. He uh, he's already kind of blown up last season. So, uh, do you do you have somebody in mind for this year? Well, it should be interesting. We signed. Um, this might be a bit out of the blue, but we signed, I think he's 14 years old, uh, 15 years old, Benko Estrella, uh, number 91 from the academy. And he is pretty good. He didn't even, he's not even playing for Red Bulls too in the USL. I mean, there's clearly some plans uh, for integration. I mean, he, I was reading uh, Matt Doyle, the columnist at MLSsoccer.com, who I read religiously pretty much. And he was talking about how maybe there is an opening for him. So, I mean, 15 years old, it's <laughs> MLS is a daunting task. But if we can have some solidity from someone who knows the Red Bull system very well, who has been in it since a little kid and is going to probably make his debut this season, that could be a surprise that takes a lot of M- that uh, MLS would have to notice. And it would be really interesting and really exciting to see someone that young and someone that unknown. I mean, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> it would be really cool to see that go. Uh, as for Kyle Duncan, who you mentioned, I was hoping that he would continue his run of form, uh, grow into last year he emerged as an exciting prospect right now. Uh, I'm worried because we signed Tom Edwards uh, from Stoke City. He's a very good right back. And it's just, I'm sure Tom Edwards will be great, but it's disappointing that Duncan, who was sensational last year, is probably not going to start off as a number one right back. And I think that it's a really key year in his development. So, I mean, maybe you'll see some new developments in Benko Estrella and even Drew Yearwood, who was very good last season. I was very impressed by him. So maybe he grows into the kind of role of uh, nailed-on starter, which he wasn't, and um, someone who I must can be excited about. But um, there's a lot of candidates for it. Could it Edwards be- possibly be a center back? Or is he just, like, he's only played right back his whole career? I'll have to, um, yeah, so... Because sometimes that transition happens, but transition. Yeah, you're, no, probably, you're right probably not I mean, for him. Because I, I mean, like Kyle Duncan was killing it for you guys last year. It's sad that we have that. I mean, you look at his uh, career in the English game. He got an assist uh, from a right back position against Manchester City. He's the kind of right back who, from my research, has really good crossing skills. Who's decently fast. So mm-hmm. I mean, usually the right backs who are center backs are the kind of people who play on the right but know how to hunker down know how to be physical uh tom edwards is not that tall he's not that big so i mean as much as i'd hope that would be a transition that could happen i'm worried about that right back competition and uh seeing one of them lose out because i don't know if either of them can move to the left back or move to center back maybe maybe one move to left back that would be a very good thing to do but uh it should it'll be uh very fascinating to see who wins that Alrighty, so Going into the season now, what are you what are you thinking? Are you, are you thinking playoffs? Are you thinking another year of of struggling to to be a, a force to be reckoned with? What are what are your thoughts on on where the team could end up? Looking at the squad, looking at the East, looking at your schedule now that of course came out. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, Red Bulls have uh, historically and tragically been one of the most laughed at uh, teams in MLS. Uh, we've never won MLS Cup. I think. The only original team never to have... I could be wrong in that, but we were, we were the latest original team to win a trophy, and it was a supporter shield. 
so as a Red Bulls fan, I am prepared for the worst and hoping for the best. Um, but I think that you look at the way the East has modernized and how we've fallen behind. You have Atlanta, who should be back to being good. Inter-Miami, who I believe have the setup uh, to counter a very disappointing last year. Toronto, Philadelphia, Orlando, New England, who I expect to all continue. And of course, Columbus, you know, the reigning MLS champions. So uh, with only half the Eastern Conference making the playoffs, I think this year is our best candidate for um, ending the streak of making every playoff since, uh, I think, 2007. It's been a very, very impressive streak. But, uh, yeah, so I think I think if you had to model our season, you look at last season, the Chicago Fire. They signed a bunch of players from all around the world. They had a good setup going, but they never clicked. They never made the playoffs. There was, there was competition and uncertainty. I think we're going to have a year like that. Um, I'm worried. Our schedule, we're playing, you know, the first two games are against Sporting Kansas City and away to LA Galaxy, so kind of a daunting start. And then with the schedule being really regionalized, you know, playing teams only near you, that's going to mean playing a lot of New England Revolution, playing a lot of Bruce Arena, playing a lot of Toronto FC, who should be very good, uh, Philadelphia Union, Columbus, Supporter Shield champions and MLS Cup champions, uh, you know, it would, be, it would be much better if we were in the Midwest or if we were in the West playing Colorado and Real Salt Lake every week. Right. So that doesn't do us any favors. But um, yeah, I'll be happy if we make playoffs, but I am not expecting it. Hmm. Not a lot of <laughs> optimism coming from you. That's there is. There's a certain uh, seasoning that Red Bulls fans experience uh, after yeah. a year. I, I've come to rank my disappoint my disappointments. Uh, every season just ends terribly. 2018 was when I just got so despondent about the Red Bulls after they lost to Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Final. That was the yeah. year. Like I knew that was the year we were going to win MLS Cup, and we just threw that away. And other seasons where we've won the Supporters' Shield haven't done much in the playoffs. Uh, so I'm hoping for a change in culture. And I think Gerard Struber, who kept Barnsley up in the championship, has a winning mentality with his squad. So I'm optimistic about long-term. Can Red Bulls be a contender? Can we invest in the right spots? But short-term, new coach, like 15 new players, it's not usually expected for teams like that to be really good off the bat. All right. So my last thing before we head out here. Yeah. What are your thoughts on New York City FC sharing your stadium um, this season? I am. Most Red Bulls fans look upon that not with like any strong feelings, but with, with just one of amusement, really. You look at New York City FC, they came into the league in 2015 trying to be everything the Red Bulls would not be. You know, the Red Bulls had the cliche of being this old, washed-out club that failed every year, that wasn't modern with the times. And uh, and New York City maybe lived up to that promise early on, but now they're it's just like they have no squad depth. They get out in the playoffs every season. They're kind of a laughing stock. They don't even have a stadium. It's I mean, how many years has it been? Of, it's like, oh, we're finally going to build a stadium in New York City this year, and yet it's Yankee Stadium. And when the Yankees are playing, they move to, they move to Connecticut, they move to Brooklyn, they move to... I mean, they played like three quarters of their games at Red Bull Arena last season. So uh, it's it's kind of funny to watch um, the rivals who have, have never wished well on uh, to <laughs> see that struggle. But I mean, I hope for the good of MLS that New York City do find some footing. They do find a, a soccer-specific stadium. I know the zoning in New York City is really complicated, and they've tried very hard to get a stadium but have failed. Um, so I, I hope that they do have success down the road, but right now... 
at a time when we're when we're vulnerable, I'm more than happy to allow them to be compromised as well because um, they're not in, they're probably in a worse situation than we are. So yeah. Within the fan within your fan base, the the Red Bulls fan base, is there any um anybody who's kind of like, well, they shouldn't be playing at our stadium, or we shouldn't let them play at our stadium, or is it just kind of let's laugh at them because they can't figure out their stadium? I mean, I'm sure there are people who say that, but um, I mean, most of the reaction is just. This is pathetic. It's it's funny. It's just it's kind of sad from their perspective. Red Bull Arena has been used a lot. It was used for Montreal Impact actually last season. I mean, USL teams have played there. The U.S. men and the U.S. women have played there. So it's um it's become more than just just the Red Bulls ground. So it's not that we're we have anger or animosity toward the New York toward New York City to, for playing here because in the end it's probably the best they can get and that's understandable they made, they played CONCACAF Champions League there last season and it was mm-hmm. funny because all the fans in New York City like boycotted the match and then like it threw a fit and nothing happened so no progress but um yeah it's just uh interesting to see that team which was so flashy and so exciting in 2015 with all those big stars via Pirlo Lampard just deteriorate to where they are now and um as a red bulls fan it's uh it's not the worst <laughs> it gives you some good off-season entertainment yeah all right so henry good. oh go ahead Have a, thank you so much no uh, no go was, ahead go ahead yeah i was about to say, say that like when new york city came into the league it was we were overshadowed none of our games got selected for national television um they'd seen like the only team in new york so to see them on equal footing and to follow a very new york soccerian style of regressing has been very entertaining to watch so yeah yeah so where can our listeners find you at man um they can find me i don't i'm not too active on most social media i do write for i mean i'm going to write for mls uh now website a ton so you can uh find me on that website you can look at my name there and uh you can read my articles that they'll be coming in i hope to do weekly recaps of the season just as it goes along because that's just something that should be really fun so um yeah stay tuned Uh, i'm sure for a lot of the new york red bulls fans who are listening we have a very good online community people who are really devoted to the team many of us have been i mean i haven't but many of us have been supporting the team since 1996 when it came into the league so um it feels very tight-knit and that's something i enjoy so yeah awesome well let's hope uh other fans are just a little bit more excited and have a little bit uh more expectations for the team than you do this this upcoming season hopefully y'all do great um because y'all always seem to do great you know whenever i do predictions for the new york red bulls so i get some funky looks especially last year from david i I put you guys in like seventh place and this was obviously before covid and he was like what do you mean like they just don't look strong and i'm like they always find a way david they always find a way (laughs) leave it off on a good note uh 2015 when we won the supporter shield we lost Thierry Henry we lost Tim Cahill before that season we brought we brought in complete unknowns like Mike Grella and Sal Zizo people who are now beloved by the club the chances of winning the supporter shield from day one of that season are probably the chances of winning the supporter shield right now this season Mm. so um, Red Bulls have produced the unexpected and I think there have been a lot of time. I mean, the bad moments stand out for me, you know, losing very preventable playoff matches, being overshadowed by teams in the Eastern Conference. But there have been a lot of moments of really good consistency. It, it, you know, we feel like a family. It's been a club for a while. It's We have a good stadium, a good fan base. We're really solid and secure about who we are and the playing style we want. So I think that there are stuff to look forward to. And I, I'm hoping for the best. Well, hopefully history repeats itself, Henry. All right, man, you have a good rest of your night. Thanks so much for coming on. This was a good talk.
Oh, great. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Yeah.